I hate you. The reason in my heart of hearts why I hate you is because I didn't know any better when I was a little kid. When my dad came home smelling like beer, I thought it was a hard day's work he was doing. I didn't realize he was out at the bar. I didn't realize workmen unemployment office. I didn't think it was strange for somebody to come home from work and have to take an old style up into the shower while they showered. I didn't think it was strange for somebody to pass out. I thought an old style, a pack a day, was the norm. Raven, my father is exactly like you. And since day one in Ring of Honor, where fighting spirit is supposed to be revered, things aren't supposed to be this way. I'd shake your hand like a normal man, but see, the truth is I don't respect you. I hate you. I hate you for everything you've pissed away, everything I scrape and I clock for that I haven't even earned yet, that you got handed to you, and you flushed down a toilet. For what? For pills? For booze? For alcohol? For women? I am born of your poison society, so on the 17th of July, I will become a monster to fight the monsters of the world. And your time in Ring of Honor will be done. And that is a promise, because this is true. This is real. This is Stray Edge. Greetings Grapple fans and welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something's Match of the Week, a series within the LMTYS canon in which I, your co-host Lorcan Mullen and your other co-host Simon Cross take it in turns picking a match from the wide world of wrestling from its origins when we could see early footage of the 1920s to maybe only yesterday. But it's not going to be either of those. It's going to be one closer to the latter than it is the former. Simon, what are we talking about today? We are talking about a dog collar match taking place between CM Punk and what about me? What about Raven? Not that Raven, but Raven. So we made a quick switcheroo. There are a few episodes still to come out that we've recorded ahead of this one to completely pull the curtain back is being recorded two days before its release date and therefore like 36 hours or so before the AEW Dynamite the final one to set up CM Punk's dog collar match against MJF and because of the setup of it I thought this is too perfect a match not to look at Either if it's just before this match happens or just half after the MJF match happens, depending on whether we'd have got a five-star match or so in between. Although the funny thing is that the match that we ended up bumping off of this order was also suddenly quite relevant given the yes. events that were going to happen. The plan was we were going to do a Ring of Honor match, but it was going to be a tag team match between Charlie Huss and Shelton Benjamin against the Kings of Wrestling, one Chris Hero and... Claudio Castagnoli or Cesaro until he was very recently known yes so that would have worked as well even more than we intended a funny coincidence but we don't know maybe by the time we can get around we will talk about that match we have watched it and uh, we both have things to say about it I think but this was too good not to use and I was saying it was going to be a curious thing to either talk about it before the Punk MJF match or after because Punk says himself in setting it up that this is essentially a sequel to this match. Punk did have two more dog collar chain matches after this one with Raven. This was his first. Then he had one where it was a six-man tag, which we'll get into in a bit, in TNA. And then two years later in Ring of Honor, he had one against Jimmy Rave, the recently departed Jimmy Rave, during their feud where it was Punk that was now the babyface. But when Punk was making reference to his past, it was clearly this match 
that he was talking about. Because this was one of the most significant matches in early Ring of Honor and also in the career of CM Punk. Simon, what, if any, awareness did you have of this match in particular or just CM Punk's run in Ring of Honor in general? This match in particular, none. CM Punk's Ring of Honor run, the tail end of it, I, I sort of latched onto, where he mirrored his 2011, well, his 2011 Money in the Bank thing was sort of a mirror of how he finished up in Ring of Honor, where he left being champion, but had in Ring of Honor he had an unofficial uh, or an unpublicized title defense coming up. Whereas in WWE, everyone knows what happened there, basically. And the long matches he's had with like Samoa Joe in Ring of Honor. I didn't know, I hadn't seen a lot of Punk in Ring of Honor prior to watching this match. So Punk came into Ring of Honor about halfway through its first year in 2002. And as was the case with a lot of his run, he was connected to the hip with one Colt Cabana. Yeah. They came into Ring of Honor on the same show. And Colt Cabana actually won that match. They were basically going around the indie scene, giving them the Punk Banner match, which everyone was loving. Punk really had first made his name on the indie scene, specifically in IWA Mid-South with Ian Rotten's promotion there, with his work with Colt Cabana both as a rival and as a partner, and also his feud with Chris Hero. Mm. So he was part of that indie scene. The Raven feud was a very important feud for Punk, but also a very important moment for expanding what Ring of Honor could be, or Ring of Honor wanted to be. So Punk was just like part of the mid-card scene. Gabe Sapolsky liked to slowly introduce new guys into the roster. As soon as he signed CM Punk, you knew that he had plans for him, but he actually had him lose his first two matches against Colk Banner and then a guy called Michael Shane and then get those wins back. Okay. And it was Raven's arrival in Ring of Honor that now started to define what CM Punk was outside of a hard worker, work rate guy like everyone that came into Ring of Honor was supposed to be. This was their time of bringing in character and it not being about having the most athletically impressive contest because you weren't going to get that out of Raven. Yeah. And also, there's only so much of the same thing you can put out on a show, regardless of Ring of Honor having its code of honor and being a very much athletic, fronted organization in terms of like the honor of competition. You can't do that all the time. It just gets repetitive. I've always said that Ring of Honor is essentially the equivalent of the post-punk scene in alternative music, I suppose, in the late 70s, early 80s, where after punk, it went off into different directions. You had the the ones that went in it for the loudness and the speed, and the others that went in with the more subversive, turning pop music and rock and roll music on its head. And so if you say CZW are the people for like, Black Flag. Yeah. And bands of that ilk, and even sort of incorporating as well the heavy metal elements of it. So that fusing together to form like hardcore metal acts and Megadeth and whatever. That's like the CZW, XPW side of things. And Ring of Honor was like the Talking Heads or Blondie or REM or the Replacements. Mm. Those sorts of a more annual Joy Division and New Order. And so that that also can lead to accusations of elitism. And a, a common insult at the time was to call guys robots, ROH bots, if they thought Ring of Honor was like the be-all and end-all of pro wrestling. And you could argue that Raven coming in was one of those things, because they had tried to bring in non-technical wizards in the past and have mixed results. They brought in Abdullah the Butcher for one show. Yeah, baby. But they also brought in big guys and not particularly hard-working guys, but guys that had interesting looks and the fans would just shit all over them because they couldn't do a four-and-a-quarter-star match, you know? Yeah. And Raven, you ran the risk with that because at the same show that this is on, do you know who also made his Ring of Honor debut on this show of Death Before Dishonor? One Jeff Hardy. Oh, and okay. he was not well-received at all because this was drugged up. Oh, Punk could have really done this feud with Jeff Hardy as well in a different way, and it could have worked. But with Raven, Raven was the perfect one to place Punk against. And 
I think so many people expected Ring of Honor to be just a continuation of ECW, but really it didn't have a lot in common with ECW outside of its Philadelphia setting, having a lot of the backstage people like Gabe Sapolsky and Rob Feinstein who had worked with ECW in the past. I mean, Gabe Sapolsky was like Paul Heyman's gopher, his assistant in many ways. Yeah. Gabe got the idea of doing something different, looking at what... You can't just copy ECW. There were enough places doing that. CZW were doing that. They were literally moving into the ECW arena mm. and doing stuff there and trying to be the continuation. But as you you know, you know, look at that Jody Fleisch-Johnny Storm match that happened you know, about a year before this one, and that ECW arena is not filled to the bleachers like it had been only a couple of years earlier when it was at ECW. No. And even people on different parts of the map, like Extreme Pro Wrestling, they were, what, California-based? Yeah. But they weren't pulling up any great trees by any stretch of the imagination. Not on the quality front, anyway. No. <laughs> no. But what Gabe Sapolsky did want to do was he did want to expand it so that it wasn't just about work rate, like, you were, like we were saying. Because you can argue that this... The match, I mean, what we watched, well, what I sent you was a YouTube video, because this is up on Ring of Honor's YouTube channel for you to watch. Slightly edited version to get past unlicensed music and and everything else. Yeah. But mostly the whole thing. Uh, I watched it with a a different, like, the original feed, so you can see, like, Raven's entrance music to The Offspring is still in there. They don't mute out CM Punk's win after he pins Raven. Yeah. But... What this is, is as close as Gabe Sapolsky came to really booking what 2003 ECW would have probably been like. If ECW was still around in 2003, Paul Heyman would have probably brought in CM Punk. And if Raven had left WWF, as he did in late 2002, then he would have booked this feud, probably. Or he would have booked CM Punk against the Sandman, but the Sandman would not have been as... Provided as much emotional depth to the storyline. No. And promo work. And, you know, Raven has always been one of the great brains of pro wrestling. It's 2002 le- release. Was it a release from WWE or did this contract just expire? I believe he left voluntarily. Oh, okay. I believe he actually took an option to leave because, I mean, you look at him. Raven's in muscular shape at this point. This is as built as he's probably ever looked. Yeah. And he have basically built up this whole world on Sunday Night Heat around himself. He sort of turned Heat into his show. He was like a colour commentator, and he got into a feud with D'Lo Brown. And to people who were watching Heat, it was great stuff, but no one was watching Heat. Vince wasn't watching Heat. That was the problem. (laughs) But Raven had come up with this whole storyline concept based around the Seven Deadly Sins. He was basically going to do Seven, where he was trying to corrupt, I think it was... I'm pretty sure it was Gregory Helms, Shane Helms, the Hurricane. Oh, yeah. And he was going to be the devil on one shoulder, and Tommy Dream was going to be the angel on the other shoulder. And he wrote it all out for Vince McMahon and gave it to Vince McMahon as a storyline, and Vince actually loved it and wanted to bring Raven into the booking team. But Raven always wanted to be an in-ring guy. That's why he'd left the WWF the first time in 94 as Johnny Polo, because he still wanted to be a wrestler. They only saw him as, like, a manager. And so he... Left, reinvented himself again as Raven in ECW, but then kind of ended up becoming the character that he'd invented. You know, he said it was like life imitating art, imitating life. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because Punk points it down towards alcohol addiction and, and pills, but really it was a lot more serious than that. He was, um, you know, using needles. He was a heroin addict for a brief period of time. Yeah. During his second run in ECW, he cleaned himself up in time to go to WWF. And apparently the first time he walked in the door in WWF in September 2000, Vince McMahon's reaction was, who the fuck hired Raven? (laughs) That's the legend anyway. (laughs) I mean, with Vince, that could easily be true. I think um, the reason they focused on, like, alcohol is just the clear link between Punk's father and Raven. I think that's why they didn't, like, go hard on the heroin stuff in, in, like, the promos that were surrounding this match. I think it's also because being drug-free, well, I would say 90% of, of most people are drug-free. <laughs> hey! Insofar as, well, come on. How many people are actually smoking a spliff on a weekly basis? I'm not. No, I, well, I'm not, but I, I think I, I, would, I wouldn't say not. I don't know. 
If you factor in everyone over the age of everyone over the age of forty, you know how many of them are oh, taking there's still some taking drugs. Yes, yeah, some, but I don't think over ten percent of them are. That's my point. And it's also where the fuck are you going to get it if you're at, if you're not living in a major city. I mean, there's a whole well, there's a whole culture of you know trouble. The whole county lines of the countryside. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But still, it's just you know. I mean, there's not that many kids anymore because everyone's too drugged up to have their balls to have sex. I don't know. But <laughs> my point is that going down the route of I'm drug free does not separate you from the majority. But saying you're alcohol free. Oh, yeah. And that therefore makes you better than everyone is a, you know, a much greater. Divide. I mean, it's, again, to be fair, from like my our generation on, a lot more people are not drinking alcohol or at least not drinking that much. You know, like I'm not straight edge. But I am straight edge, like, on average, 362 days of the year, probably on average, since I've been, you know, 18. Like, my days of debauchery and drunk drinking and taking drugs, especially taking drugs and minimal. Well, not minimal, I suppose, because that'll be zero. But it's, you know, it's a lot closer to yeah. zero <laughs> than it is most other numbers. And alcohol, not really. I think I, I drank, like, uh, I've had a couple of drinks couple of times in the last month or so and that's the i think that's i didn't drink once during obviously during lockdown but like before then i don't think i was drinking like if i never drank another alcoholic drink again it wouldn't be a problem for me yeah yeah um and i think that's the same for a lot of people of our generations but we don't have it define our personality yeah but this whole thing of the straight edge thing was how punk was going to define himself i think that's one of the reasons why triple h didn't like him because Triple H was also straight edge, but he didn't feel the need to tattoo it all over himself and make it part of his whole lifestyle, which is what Punk did. But because Punk associated as well with like the Punk's, you know, the music scene, yeah, I think I think um, Henry Rollins might be straight edge and know? upbringing. Yeah, I don't think Triple H had an alcoholic dad. I don't know how much of that is true. It's like how John Moxley has a lot of backstory to his character, and I don't know how much of that is true. It's for the character motivation. You know, As I don't know that when MJF went to that autograph signing, I don't know that that was also the day that some people threw quarters at him. There's artistic license. Yeah, yeah. I know that Punk doesn't get along with his family, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily because his dad's an alcoholic or anything. Yeah. I mean, Punk doesn't get on with a lot of people, to be fair. Yes. That's another thing that we can get into if we like as time goes on. But Raven's the right one to put against him because because Punk is articulate and intelligent, and also you know he's got he thinks he's on a higher level. And Raven, and also is self obsessed, solipsistic. Yeah. And the Raven character was always solipsistic as well. What about me? What about Raven? That's like a mopey way of saying I'm better than you. That's you know that's a you know that's the Gen yeah. X equivalent of it. You know, although Punk is Gen X as well, I suppose, just about. Yeah, which was kind of I, I don't know if that was consciously what Russo was going for when they did that in WCW, but he did come across as like mopey and self-absorbed. Well, yeah, that was where they introduced the spoiled rich kid. Yeah, they made Raven a spoiled rich kid. Raven. Yeah. But that was before Russo. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that was around Mar- March, April 99, and Russo didn't come in until Halloween. Like, Raven, I think the only thing he did in WCW when... No, he might have got... No, he went before Russo. Because Bischoff said, there's a door, you can leave if you want to. And Raven did, and went to ECW. And that was like Sept- August, September 99. So that was before Vince Russo went to WCW. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah, this was the one where this was where it was storyline focused and a lot more gaga. You know, there are two people interfering in this match. Yeah. It's very it's a very ECW match, even down to half of the match being slightly aimless brawling in the crowd. Like Taz versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Yeah. There was a good bit of fan interaction that came from that crowd brawling bit with them holding the chairs for Raven. But that's just calling back to all of his matches with Tommy Dreamer where Tommy Dreamer would get fans to hold things up to yeah. for him to hit Raven. Or bring weapons for them to for him to hit Raven with. So that's what that was a callback to as well. Yeah. I, I do take your point though. In terms of like the volume of outside the ring brawling in this dog collar match... From a personal standpoint, the only other dog collar match I'd seen prior to this was Cody Rhodes versus the Great 
late great Brody Lee. Now, obviously, that was in a pandemic era, so you, there was no crowd to brawl in, but they kept that well within the ring. Point of the dog collar match is to be tethered to the opponent, and moving so freely away from the ring sort of diminishes that somewhat. Yes. But that does also allow for really cool moments like CM Punk throwing Raven over the barricade. And at the, at the start, Punk is doesn't want to do the, the gimmick, which I didn't... I thought that was a little bit... I can get why they thought it'd be good to have Punk do the chicken shit heel thing, but it's like, why would he suddenly now be scared about it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and trying to just have a no-holds-barred match. But you get the logic of it that he can run away, and like maybe it's the dawning realisation of, oh, I genuinely... I've talked a lot of smack now, and now I've got to back it up. And yeah, and I, I, I literally can't get away from this man. <laughs> yeah, and because of that, he does get the shit kicked out of him immediately because he does try to run away. He leaves the ring, and Ravens then just able to pull him back. And that's one of the one of the things I was realizing is because I looked into it, and the WWE have never done a dog collar match. They've done bull rope matches they've done or 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 leather strap matches where they're tied together at the wrist yeah but at the neck he never did that and the neck is a bit more of a nerve-wracking element to it it's quite scary at moments when you if you're suddenly being pulled back violently or pulled forward violently by the neck you've got like when the probably the best spot in the whole match where after Raven's been beating the shit out of CM Punk in the crowd, he takes a moment to walk up to the top of the bleachers and pose oh, yeah. with the spotlight on him. And then just suddenly you see the the chain pulled and he just got, goes flying forward. Not able to and he's not able to control the fall. And obviously he falls out of the spotlight as well, because Punk's been able to pull him in and it's Punk kind of learning his lesson because that's something that's happened to him twice in this match first at the start when he tried to run away and raven was able to pull him back and then uh, when punk had thrown him into the crowd thinking he was going to give him a bit of breathing space but again then just raven just pulls him in and he smacks himself into the barricade yeah but this is turnabout's fair play with it being punk learning his lesson and getting back at raven you have that with um the crotching as well because punk gets crotched very early on and uh, he does that turn about his fair play thing back to Raven. To, to the mid end, somewhere in the mid end of the match, mid to end of the match, I should say, Raven gets crotched. So there's there's another example of oh, okay, that that's that's something we're we're doing, is it? That's something we can do. Well, I guess it's also that sense of it being so personal and so hate filled. But what I love about it is that Punk brought all the hatred into this feud to begin with. And Raven was like, I haven't done anything to deserve this. It was like Raven yeah. got booked in Ring of Honor. And then CM Punk took Umbridge and immediately called him out at the very next show. And they had a Raven's Rules match. And Punk did win it. Although it started off technical and then it went into a brawl, I think. Oh, okay. And also, again, echoing the Tommy Dreamer-Raven feud as well. Raven was never able to get the win over CM Punk at any point during this storyline at this point it was constantly punk winning and the show before he'd been able to he'd start he'd formed his own faction at that point the second city saints with ace steel and colt cabana after cabana turned against raven in a tag team match at the end of a tag team match uh, uh, it was like punk saying you've got to choose sides now who you yeah. go with and it was punk raven and then that might not. Maybe that was the show before that, and then the next show, which was Wrestle Rave, which is the show before this, was where Punk gave his famous one of his first, fa- maybe his first famous promo, really, is in in wrestling. Because I remember about it. Because the thing about being a Ring of Honor fan, especially if you're in the UK, is you got the results and you got the news and you got the reviews a long time before you could watch the matches. Yeah. So CM Punk cuts a promo on Raven after a, a brawl that ended with him being bloodied. And Gabe loved the promo so much that he put it up on the website immediately. And you're just about old enough, I think, that you might remember the days of having to have a real player 9. Oh, God, yeah. Yes. Windows Media Player 10. Yeah. In order to watch videos. And so I would have been at uni at this point, first year of uni, and getting it and just getting a two-minute promo that had been cut just a few days earlier. 
and it did such an amazing promo and it is that moment where it adds that extra layer which again is why i think this promo in particular was such an inspiration for mjf's thing that yeah now you start to realize why this means so much to him because that's the first time punk says you're just like my dad and obviously he's taking a whole like well i guess we've all had that we've we've been pissed off by someone and so we take it out on someone else oh yeah that's that's human nature yeah what I like about it and what I like about this MJF thing, I mean, we can talk a bit about, I mean, it will already have aged by the time people will have heard it. But what I loved was that it gave complexity to a heel, but kept them a heel. Because I would say it's kind of like the best villains in superhero movies. Well, not always the best villains, because I don't think Thanos is given a very sympathetic backstory. But he's given a backstory that you can kind of understand his logic, but he's also just a psychopath that wants to kill a lot of people. Yeah. And claim that it's morally just. And, you know, obviously we're we're experiencing something along those lines right now. Yeah, yeah. Where he has been wronged, but he's taken the wrong lessons from it. Or that hasn't led to empathy or sympathy upon his person that he ultimately sees failings as weakness. And that's what Punk sees. He doesn't see alcoholism as a disease. He doesn't see it as yeah. an illness. He doesn't see it as something to be sympathetic about. He sees it as a weakness and as a thing that hurts him. And so he's going to be above it. And he's not going to forgive Raven for what he's done. Just like he won't forgive his dad for what he's done. And it seems like in real life, CM Punk's not necessarily one for forgiveness. You cross him once, you're done, though. If that person is going to be brought up during this feud, yeah. this next episode is the one where it's going to happen. If it doesn't happen in the next <laughs> Dynamite that will have happened by the time most people have heard this, then it will never be brought up. And it might be that it's not that it's not Punk who said, don't bring Colt Cabana up. It might be Colt Cabana saying, don't bring me up. We've got to respect that as well, as an you know. But if it was going to happen, it will happen at that one. Yeah, yeah. Because it will be that sense of because with MJF now they've put so much sympathy on him, but it's got to be a case of he's taken the wrong lessons. He hasn't then seen his hurt on other people yeah. that have been bullied. Instead, he's become a bully himself because he thinks the world's full of bullies. So I'm just going to be the biggest worst bully out of everyone. He thinks human relationships are transactional as well well punk abandoned him and like as a, as a source of inspiration abandoned him for what could be perceived by mgf for like transactional reasons he wasn't getting what he wanted so he left well i guess what it is with mjf it's almost like he's the terrible fans that feel like they own a person or a property and don't want to share it yeah yeah like maybe the person that he's ultimately jealous of is aj Ah, oh. But you know what I mean? It's those yeah. people that say, that get angry that Star Wars would dare try and do something different. <laughs> Women heroes! Yeah. <laughs> Women Jedi! Yeah. <sighs> but you know where I'm coming from? It's like, he's, he's a toxic fan. That's what MJF is. Yeah. Like, whatever he loved about it beforehand has been warped. And, like, going, you left me for a man who's got his own life. It, like you say, it gives MJF a lot of depth. And you're right, like, basic two-dimensional villains just don't resonate with people. Like, unlike, compared to your Darth Vader's, your, your Joker from The Dark Knight. Another good third example somewhere, but I'll leave it to the film buff to, to, to take me out of that one. Well, there's ones that are just agents of chaos that exist just to be evil, and that's fine too if you do it well. Yeah, both are valid. But I think if you want, if you're looking for emotional depth, then you're not always looking for that in the character. But if you are, then these are two great examples: this storyline and the one that's echoing it twenty years down the line, where it's now Punk, who is the Raven, and MJF, who's the Punk. Yeah, because it seems like with punk what punk has always just seen in mjf until this moment was a snot-nosed kid who would have picked on punk at school and you know was spoiled and everything because that's what he is but that doesn't also mean you know he doesn't have his own traumas and his own i mean the whole aspect of bringing in anti-semitism to it that is dicey place where you want to go because 
you know, like there's a moment in it where he goes, do we have any Jews in the house? Yes. <laughs> and it can kind of be like, you know how fans would just start saying what to everything, even when The Undertaker would say, say what if you sleep with your sister? What? <laughs> listening. So that moment when he goes, are there any Jews in the house? If anyone had gone boo at that point, and it sounded like some did, that you got to be careful with. It's a gamble, but... Well, I think what it is, ultimately, it's pretty obvious. They're not going to bait and switch, and they're not going to give us a... I mean, it would be curious to have a dog collar match where Punk's trying to keep it technical and MJF's trying to turn it violent. But I assume what's happening is MJF is going to do something truly awful to Punk at this show that removes any sympathy that you have for him beforehand. A logical thing would be him bringing up Colt Cabana. A logical thing, you know, would be him doing, just saying the worst things he could possibly say to Punk. And I also assume, here's my one prediction, the the segment's going to end with, with MJF taking the photo that CM Punk produced and then quoted Street Fighter the movie and tearing it up in his face and throwing it out on Punk's prone body at the end of it. That's what I assume. Because that's like yeah. him saying it's broken off forever because Punk might be saying, we can call this off, we don't have to do this. And then MJF going, no, we are going to do this because I am going to make you suffer for what you did. And what Punk yeah. did was ultimately think for himself. Yeah. And again, it's like that whole, that weird parasocial relationship people can feel like they have with their heroes, especially through modern day means of social media and everything. Yeah, that that has made that a lot worse. Um, yeah. And we've covered that in other episodes, I feel, yeah. as well. Um, there always were toxic fans. There always were... People that took it too far, you know, there were girls that would break down hotel doors to try and touch Donny Osmond, for God's sake, you know? <laughs> uh, that, and to go down a, a more horrible path. I really you know, shouldn't laugh because. To go down a more horrible path, just read into the Latin pop star Selena and what happened to her. Yeah. You know? So it's always existed. It's just, as with so many other things, social media just brings it more to the forefront. And it's easier for more people to sink into that hole because there's more in the hole for you to occupy yourself with. Yeah. Because, like, obviously the other thing that they're referencing in this dog collar match, and it was such a beautiful way that Punk was constantly going back to that refrain of Piper in Portland and then asking MJF to be his valentine. Yeah. Specifically playing to that. That was so inspired, that whole bit, and referencing the other most famous dog collar chain match that took place almost 40 years ago. And if we'd had time, maybe we would have done that as part of a double bill with this one of Roddy Piper. I did go back and watch it on um, the WWE Network after this. Oh, okay. Yeah, and with that one, they played a lot more. I mean, they started off with a tug of war on by their neck, which they sort of teased right at the start of this match, but... What it also does as well is that establishes, okay, this is as far away from each other as they can be for the whole match. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good visual because it hammers home the gimmick, like you say. And it really is along the lines of the Magnum TA Tully Blanchard I quit match where it's not a f- match, it's a fight. Oh, okay. There's no attempt at doing anything clever. or It's just pure hatred and just hitting each other. And it just ends with Piper just beating him with the chain and as for a while and then just pinning him. <laughs> That's all it is. Yeah, and... This match doesn't reach those heights? No, this match doesn't reach those heights because it does do the, the ECW gaga of interference, you know, high, you know, chair spots, doing the trademark stuff. And there are a couple of re- actual wrestling moves in it as well. That was right towards the end when CM Punk was taking control. It was sort of a way of him showing and then just starts taunting P- Raven with the mic during yeah. the match. That was one of the things that that's one of the things I love about the 2010 Royal Rumble where Punk eliminates someone and then just continues cutting the promo that he was cutting beforehand. So that's a callback to that. And he also goes real um, in-depth with the referencing again uh, by saying, is that all you've got, Flamingo, to Raven? Did you get what that was a reference to? I did not, no. So when, again, before he was Johnny Polo, when he was in WCW in 91-92, Raven was Scotty the Body... And then he was Scotty Flamingo. Oh, okay. And he was right. like a preening, sort of prototypical Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels, I suppose. He won the WCW light heavyweight title around that time. And he was in a he was in a faction briefly with Diamond Dallas Page and Kevin Nash. 
I knew that Paige and Nash were together at one point. I didn't realise Raven was with them. Yeah, and I think Raven brings it up in the feud that he had with DDP for the US title in WCW in 98. They went back to that a bit. Oh, okay. But yeah, it was, again, it was like just trying to humiliate Raven. So it's not just trying to humiliate him for his life decisions, but also some of the stupid gimmicks he's had to do in the past. Yeah. And also just sort of like, oh, how far you've fallen. You... So yeah, we get to the ECW multiple interferences and everyone hitting everyone with DDTs moments. So, Colt Banner comes out when Raven has Punk beaten, but the referee Paul Turner, a much chunkier Paul Turner at the time. But much better head of hair, though, obviously. What? Just the same haircut as he has now. I know, but it looks fuller. Well, you know. People in glass houses, Simon, that's all I'll say. (laughs) Yes, I'm aware. Age gets us all. So, the ref's out. So, again, a ref bump, not very common in Ring of Honor at the time. Raven him hits Raven with a DDT on the chair, does a pose. Danny Doring, who was in the crowd at the show and Punk had taken to humiliate beforehand for being such a loser. Only a couple of years earlier, he'd been in ECW. He was one of the ECW actual academy uh, graduates. Him, Roadkill, yeah. a guy called Tom Marquez, and Chris Chetty. I know they were all... I don't think Nova was one of them, but he did form a team with Chris Chetty. And they were all trained by Taz and Perry Saturn. God knows what that must have been like. And right at the end, when ECW was dying, was when they finally put Danny Doring and Roadkill in a, a prominent position. They'd been given the ECW tag titles, and they were the champions when the promotion folded. Yeah. But they just weren't getting... They didn't get picked up by anyone in particular. They had a tryout in WWF, actually. I think they had it at Madison Square Garden. And they were told to just have a basic match with the FBI. And he says that Paul Heyman told them, no, you don't have a basic match. You tear that... Again, I think Doring came in with the ECW lot in 2006, maybe. But that was it. But he was good for a shoot interview. That was one thing that Doring was able to do for a while. Because he was there for a lot of stuff. But anyway, he's presented as a bit of a loser. It was also a a rare Gabe Sapolsky on-screen sighting as well. Where he's holding Doring back to... uh, Oh! Trying to get sort of a shoot element to it. Uh, Which is strange because Chris Lovey on commentary bears more than a striking similarity to Gabe Sapolsky in the uh, voice department. Not quite sure how that works. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so Doring comes out and clears off Cabana, and people think, well, that's the ECW spots. And then we get the post-match angle, which is the most famous part of this whole thing, where Punk tapes up Raven uh, in the ropes, opens a can of beer, and pours it all over Raven. And again, it's like, that's the sort of thing that MJF will have to do. To This is someone who's yeah. trying to be straight-edge now, ultimately. And Punk won't let him. Like, like you sinned mm. once, there's no forgiveness. And so then, obviously, Dreamer comes in. Tommy Dreamer, which you texted me about. Yeah. Uh, I said, look, you know... No, your copybook's blotted forever. Ironic. Outside of the Hooters shirt, I suppose. That maybe it was... The clues were there all along, as far as his opinion of... <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, look, look, look. For what it was at the time, obviously a great spot. But... Ever since that plane ride from hell, Dark Side of the Ring episode, it's just hard to look at anything that Tommy Dreamer does and go, mm, you know. It's, it seems like Tommy Dreamer's been much closer to being cancelled than Ric Flair has, for whatever way we're going to define being cancelled as. But you know what I mean? Yes. I'm not seeing Tommy Dreamer anywhere on the social medias at the moment. I'm seeing plenty of Ric Flair. Yeah, Rick's... We're, at the minute, he's like hanging out with loads of celebrities. Um, I, I, his Instagram keeps popping up on my feed. He was with like Lance Armstrong, Post Malone recently. When he was with Lance, I'm like, oh look, two dirtbags. <laughs> well, if he was with Wheatus, he'd be with loads of dirtbags. <laughs> hey, I was going to make a tenuous James Dyson joke there, but I don't think I will. But yeah, we get our little ECW reunion in the crowds there. I mean, a lot of the crowd there weren't just Ring of Honor regulars. There were obviously people there to see Raven because of ECW. There were some Jeff Hardy fans that got... um, Again, you want to talk about different fan bases and some trying to drown out young women and their voices 
because of their own lack of forgiveness for someone is weird. Like the crowd would like CM Punk in that situation. To be fair, Jeff was a bit of a mess at that point, but it still was, you know. Yeah, I think his victory road incident was like a way off. Wasn't oh it? yeah, well he cleaned up and went off the wagon and got back on the wagon and made it look like he fell off the wagon. <laughs> yeah, then that affected his CM Punk program, didn't it? Yeah, well, CM Punk, really, his coming out of the WWE was getting to replay this storyline, essentially, with Jeff Hardy yeah. in WWE. Punk was finally able to show Vince what he was able to do as a promo and everything. And, you know, because Punk, as frustrating as he could be, on, it must have been on Vince. I've The whole world wasn't against Punk as much as I think he thinks it is. We'll do a whole episode about... We've talked about, like mapping out episodes to do in the future and at some point this year we might do an episode just about what actually does cm punk represent yeah yeah what what does cm punk mean to the world of wrestling and to wrestling fans because it's, it's a complex issue and really he was always presented solidly after that jeff hardy feud except for his you know when he dropped the belt to the undertaker and was kind of nowhere for a couple of months but then the straight edge society started up and that was a continuation of it mm. Mm. but yeah punk always loved that straight edge stuff uh, playing into his character because you know it came from a real place what I think is fascinating as well though with this is what Punk will do for his art I suppose where Raven gets his revenge and it's a funny moment because it is that notion of Raven isn't necessarily a good guy either yeah but he's not as big an asshole as Punk is and he's had his demons and I think he says like when he gets the mic and, and he gives his little chuckle <laughs> and he looks at Punk now tied up and he says um I wasn't great sober anyway. <laughs> but then him, like, taking the beer, and it's like, well, you've shown me no compassion, so I'm going to do the worst thing that I, anyone could do to you. And it really is. Yeah. Punk is, like, literally frothing at the mouth when Raven's trying to put... And I do like that he's not just, like, sort of a classic, oh, I'm just taking it lying down. He's, like, doing everything in his power. To avoid it. It is a little bit like he's being waterboarded, basically, how, like, how much he wriggles. Yeah. It is supposed to be torture to him in that moment. It's like everything yeah. he stands for and, and Raven's disrespecting him. But that's because Punk did it to him first, you know. You reap what you sow. And Punk just being an utter mess. Again, because it guts off at that point. But in the full thing, he like he's desperately trying to be tied off. And then finally a, a referee unties him. And he just is utterly, you know, he like attacks the referee. And is so furious. And he plays it off so well. Because oh, okay. Punk was never the most physically gifted guy, but he worked within those physical limitations, and what he was always good at was getting people to care, and I think that Raven brought him to a new level. Raven basically said, when he started working with CM Punk, CM Punk already thought he was the best thing in wrestling, but he eventually did become the best thing in wrestling afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the stuff he did with Raven was a lot to do with that, because Punk had a... Punk's impersonation of Raven was to go, eh, I don't know, kid. I'm not really uh, able to do all that. So he wouldn't do all the big moves that CM Punk wanted to do. It would be a lot more grounded. Yeah. And he's got a point, though, because it's like, you know, you just do one do one thing great, and that's all you need. It's like one of the things they reference as well in this is Tommy Dreamer hitting CM Punk because there are a few head, you know, unprotected headshots in this match. Yeah. And it is Tommy Dreamer just cracking a steel chair over CM Punk's head. And that is also referencing back to the time when Tommy Dreamer had Raven tied to the a cage. Yeah. And just swung his chair and just hit him with one. Because he wanted to hit him loads of times. And Raven said, no, just hit me once. Yeah. Just hit me once and make it count. And he did. And it was called the chair shot heard round the world or something along those lines. And it really was just one echoing cavern. You know, it's just references on top of references on top of references, obviously. Whereas you think of when it's uh, just as a quick sidebar, when it's been like done multiple times in a row, like the rock mankind match comes to mind. Maybe if they just did the one or two there, but like he'd like gone for it. Yeah. Well, apparently it's supposed to be five and then the rock just took it upon himself to double it. Oh, right. <laughs> Yeah, but there's another match we can talk about in the future. A CM Punk Mick Foley feud would have been something special. So I think we've kind of covered most of everything. Is there anything else you wanted to add to this? I've got a few notes here. No, one of the things I was going to say, obviously, when you were like a CM Punk's impression of Raven, like, I don't really want to do the big moves. There aren't a lot of wrestling moves in this match, but in terms of actual, not because some of the chair shots are gnarly. You're right. Not the gnarliest we've seen, but they are gnarly. 
But in terms of actual like bumps they take, Raven takes like the hardest one with that being yanked down the uh, bleachers. I can't think of any. But he other, makes like, it count. Yeah, I can't think of any other like nasty bumps. It's it's a visceral match. There's blood, but no one's getting like a Misawa level head drop. Well, the chair shots to the head are pretty brutal. That aside, that aside, I, I, I'm talking like in wrestling, just in wrestling move terms, not weapon shots. Yeah, but I think those things, like I said, the the body of the match is not as memorable as everything that comes before and after it, really, except for a few spots here and there. I mean, you almost forget that Punk it literally gets the ship, not literally, but gets the blood beaten out of him at least. Yeah. For the first like five minutes of the match, until he reverses a whip into a table in the corner. The old Chekhov's gun. Well, no, not really, because that was, like, set up immediately. It's Chekhov's gun if it's in the first act and then pays off in the third act. That was the first act paid off in the first act. So, you know, get your theatrical references right. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, one thing I did want to say was about how this this was, like, a, a new push punk to a new level, and it was also just like how everyone wanted the punk Cabana match and the punk Chris Hero matches beforehand. In 2003, everyone wanted the Punk-Raven feud. So they were replaying the feud in MLW at the same time. And I watched one of those, and that was just a mess of ECW nonsense as well. MLW was very much going for like the ECW continuation, a lot more than Ring of Honor was. Uh, but they just never made it feel as special, as important. Punk was never presented as significant within EC, uh, MLW like he was in... You know, at that point, I was convinced Ray Punk was going to be the guy to beat Samoa Joe for the title. He was the guy that they clearly had the most invested in at yeah. that point. Uh, which didn't turn out to be the case, but, we'll, you know, we've covered that before um, with Punk's other great match in ROH that everyone will remember. Like, if they remember two matches for Punk and Ring of Honor, it's probably this and the Samoa Joe match. That was the five-star match. This was the five-star angle. Yeah, and like you mentioned the match. does It's, it's sort of like a link. A link in a chain, what some, what some might say, between like what goes before and what goes afterwards. And sometimes that's what a good match is. A good match isn't actually a good match itself, but it's a good segue from one part of the story to the next. And that's very much what this this match does. Well, you just get character, you get character motivation and everything, and that is as much what wrestling was, and that was Ring of Honor showing we don't just do the great matches, we can do sports entertainment yeah. better than the sports entertainment guys can do it. If you give complex, well, not complex, you know, wrestling is never going to be that complex, <laughs> um, but as complex as wrestling gets is what Raven, what was the CM Punk promo against Raven and this follow-up match and. Now what we're getting with MJF and Punk, like, you know, now. And whatever we'll see in AEW will be fascinating. And who knows? Maybe Punk's due is one five-star match a decade in the eyes of Dave Meltzer. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll have to discuss this match in a, a future episode. We don't know. Maybe, maybe. I, I don't know. The dog collar match, I, I find it it's a very restrictive medium for, like, what gets given a five-star match but then again i'm looking at that under the old five-star lens and the amount he spams the button recently you could well be right yeah i mean he gave that bloody jurassic express christian super click match five stars so yeah yeah no you're right you're right there Uh, yeah i love that when raven just flout spits on punk (laughs) you know just showing i really don't like you either (laughs) he's good at those little things raven he's like you say, it's, it's it's the detail, I think, that Raven gets well. I'll be curious to see what they do as far as getting just the being yanked at by the neck element of it, which is so, mm. like, ooh, quite scary in a way. And and also the hanging element of it. I'm certain someone's going to try and hang the other one for a while. Yeah. And that will probably be what happens again in this angle. Maybe MJF won't put the collar on himself, but he'll put it on Punk and hang him for a bit. Maybe, yeah. This is one of the things about wrestling in 2002, and you know how you were saying that Vince Russo didn't get a chance to screw over Raven in WCW? Yeah. Well, I will say this. So, in ROH, it's CM Punk feuding with Ra- in a blood feud with Raven. In MLW, it's CM Punk feuding with Raven. In another promotion, I believe they brought the Sandman in and tried to recreate the storyline where Raven took Sandman's son away from him. 
and they were doing it where CM Punk took away the Sandman's daughter. Right. I might be misremembering that, but that was one thing I think they were leaning into. But I did look him up on Cage Match, and I don't think CM Punk ever had a match with Sandman outside of WWE CW. Oh, okay. So maybe I'm misremembering that. But it was being booked around the world to the point that their final one of their feud, almost a year to the day almost, of their first one in Ring of Honor was them going all the way to FWA in the UK and having... Them. Oh, yes, because that's one of the promos you you sent me in the chat, was like them hanging out in Liverpool. Because there's a... When he's mouthing off at the English fan, like, for um, drinking beer, the, the guy just takes a sip and goes, beautiful stuff. <laughs> Alcohol. Alcohol. <laughs> Keep drinking, England. I want you to get liver disease. Yeah. That was a great response. Especially Raven saying bloody hell or bloody something. Or <laughs> bloody brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So they have a couple more matches after this, but nothing really works out. The, the match they have straight after this is uh, the Clockwork Orange House of Fun, which I think is something that Raven literally says in this, possibly, at the end of this, which was essentially just like the Chris Jericho, Dean Ambrose, Steel Cage with weapons Oh, match. the Ambrose Asylum match. Yeah, and like that match, it was a bit of a wet farts yeah they, like gave an edited version of it available because i looked it up again it's on on the youtube channel because they did then so they had it and they said full match and it was 15 minutes and then i looked it up on cage match and the actual match time was 30 minutes ah. uh it was apparently such a shit show that they had to and they felt we can't have this as the payoff so they then had one last match which was another steel cage match just without all the weapons so this was the peak of the feud one thing they also tried to do in the Clockwork Orange House of Fun match again like the whole ECW like this was as close as Gabe Sapolsky did to like doing a tribute to Paul Heyman and ECW was that they dimmed the lights out and when they put them back on Punk had not had crucified Raven but unlike with how Raven had crucified the Sandman yeah. with an actual crucifix, instead he put him against a, an X, which was the symbol of... Oh, straight you know, edgeness. Yeah, straight yeah, yeah. edge, yeah. So CM Punk and Raven throughout the spring to autumn of 2003 are feuding. They're feuding in ROH, they're feuding in MLW, they're feuding in other promotions around that area. They even have a match in FWA. At the exact same time in NWA TNA, what do they book them as? Teammates. Brilliant. <laughs> like a week before or after this match, he's in a tag team match with Raven and TNA. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And another thing that happened, because I think what was supposed to be the gimmick for... I know one of those two matches, either the Clockwork Orange House of Fun match or the Steel Cage match, Raven said, let's make it hair versus hair. Yeah. And he was going to lose. He said he'd be willing to lose a hair versus hair match. But because TNA were like his primary employers, they were like, well, no, if you're going to lose a hair versus hair match, it's going to be in TNA. Yeah. And at the time he was feuding with James Mitchell's, you know, whatever Satan group James Mitchell was in charge of at the time. And this famously led to them shaving his head, but with a faulty shaver. And he ended up being cut. Oh, yeah. It was, like, just gruesome. He was basically having to tear his hair off of his head, James Mitchell. So he wasn't... Raven wasn't particularly happy with him at the time. No, I can imagine. You know, Russo and... Just TNA in general, because I then watched when CM Punk did turn heel on Raven in September, like, a few months after this, in TNA. And it's just 15 different things going on at the same time, and it's just a mess. Unbelievable. There's a reason Punk left TNA and settled with Ring of Honor around this, that time as well. It, w what was going to get his full, unreserved attention. And it paid off for him. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, this is it. But yet, the CM Punk that we have today we wouldn't have had without this feud. This made CM Punk on the indie scene more than any other thing, really. As Raven said, you know, when he came in, Punk thought he was the best wrestler in the world already. Four, month, four years into an indie run. And then, at some point along the lines, he did become what he always thought he was, and I think Raven thinks he can take a certain amount of credit, and I do think he can. Yeah. I don't know if Punk would ever give it to him, but, you know. <laughs> the work's there for everyone to see. Well, yeah, and now we're seeing it being remade 20 years later. <laughs> so what does that tell you? Yeah. It clearly had some... He, Punk clearly acknowledges there was some influence on him, I think. 
So are there any things you want to see in the CM Punk MJF, either the angle that will have happened by the time this comes out, or the match itself? In the match itself, I know, and I'm hoping the cameramen are good enough for us, that we'll get a, a shot of MJF being yanked by the collar. And I want proper eyes bulging, like spit coming out of him. Like, But with that as well, one of the things I think could happen is CM Punk like shows like a rare, rare moment of oh I'm not sure about something due to like sympathy or something like that in the match MJF uses that to win and then it's the dynamite afterwards where he's like yeah none of that was actually true <laughs> yeah you could do that but I just again if you're going to bring in the anti-semitism element of it I don't think you can play about with that really because there have been plenty of people over the past few years in the UK that have tried to play down accusations of anti-Semitism and it hasn't rung true for me. So, <laughs> yeah. So, a lot to, lot we've unpacked there and a lot that will be unpacked in the next week and we may talk about the follow-up. We may not. If we don't, it's going to be a new Let Me Tell You Something coming up. And people, get your pads of paper at the ready because it is Listomania time. It's running wild on our notepads. Mm -hmm. So assuming there are no five-star matches, we've recorded a list of definitive matches of recommendations. We're talking about recommending wrestling matches to people who are like fans but want to get into something new or non-fans to try and explain what wrestling is. So people can maybe think about what they would offer. Maybe we'll even put it up on uh, Twitter to ask people. But it was a match to get you into wrestling in general. Yep. A match to get you into Attitude Era WWF. Yes. A match to get you into Golden Era of Wrestling, the 80s, early 90s. Yep. A match to get you into AEW. Yep. And a match to get you into Japanese wrestling. But for us, it just became like modern Japanese wrestling. But for us, it basically became New Japan in the 2010s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think those were the five categories off the top of my head. So we both come up with some um, honorable mentions before we give our definitive picks of all those uh, ones. But give give your uh, brains a little charge and think of how you what you'd put on your own lists. But obviously we're coming up to an AEW pay-per-view. It seems like there's at least one guaranteed five-star match at all of these shows. Although, looking at the lineup, it's a very fun lineup and there's a lot of compelling stories. I'm not convinced there's a five-star match in there. Maybe Page versus Cole if Meltzer goes that way, but I'm not sure. Like I said, Punk is due is one per decade, but Meltzer doesn't necessarily give it to those sort of gimmick matches. Depends, because at the time of recording, we don't know the third team in the triple threat yet. No, but that feels like that's more just about the Young Bucks and Red Dragon than it is about Jurassic Express. Yeah. Danielson and Moxley. Moxley, maybe. Could sneak upon us. Could sneak upon us, but doubtful. won't sneak upon us, but, you know. I I mean, just purely because uh, their storyline has been, let's have a match. Okay. Well, as we said, it's taken a lot for Danielson to get a five-star match from Dave Meltzer. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Like, well, it's Kingston and Jericho, and that... that ain't getting five stars. It'll be good in its own way, I think. But my prediction for that, by the way, is that Kingston wins because Jericho said, if you win this match, I'll shake your hand like an honest man. And that, obviously, is just setting him up to put his hand out to shake and then kicking him in the balls. So that's why I think we might finally see Kingston actually win one. We'll do a predictions thing on our Twitter feed and all that. But if people want to follow you on Twitter and the like, Simon, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm sending a Simon Cross free. Free for the number of extracurricular wrestlers added to this match. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for alcohol, N for narcotics. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you put that gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lntyspod at gmail.com. LNTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. If you go to patreon.com slash lntyspod and feel like throwing a few pennies our way, then we'd be more than happy to take them off your hands. We are talking about potential expansions or additional... Uh, <laughs> there's something we might have a lot of fun with uh, if we can find the time and the resources 
if you've looked at our Twitter, you might be able to get what we're hinting. <laughs> There's at. a strong inkling, and uh, fans of a certain subgenre of our output might be licking their lips at the prospect. Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> No parents. <laughs> I only work exclusively in black and occasionally very dark grey. All I ever say is that my name's Lorca Mullen and I like to party. <laughs> my name's Simon Cross and I like to party. Only one of us can party, Simon. <laughs> but, but have a great week with no partying except for me. And me. Unt- no, Simon! <laughs> Stop trying to take control of my narrative. Hey. But have a great week. Until the next one.